This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, and welcome to The Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. So this week, I'm doing something a bit different. I say I feel like I say that a lot, but I am doing something a bit different. Um, and I just kind of wanted to do something a bit more lighthearted because I think a lot of mine recently have really been quite heavy, but I'll get into that in a minute. So this week, I'm going to tell you the story of the Peru 2. Samantha, I take it you know the story or the you've heard of the Peru too. <laughs> yeah, I have. I'm, I'm intrigued on how you're going to make it like true crime, but it's brilliant. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> it's obviously a crime. Um, yeah, but the but image think... of them is ingrained in my brain. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, the one. There's um there's an image engraved in my brain that anytime I think of the Peru too, it is basically these mums in England sent their kids dressed as a Peru too for like a like fancy dress day at school and they were like eight years old. And I can still picture it to this day, like it was all over <laughs> oh the news, Lord. being like it was so inappropriate. I honestly remember it was so funny. Um but yeah, as I said at the start, I feel like I've just done a lot of heavy ones and as I've been kind of doing my research for my Christmas ones, they are still quite heavy as well. So I kind of wanted to take a pause and do a bit more of a lighthearted story. And actually, it's the first kind of one I, that we've done where I'm going to controversially say it. I don't think there's any victims in this case, to be honest with you. Um, I think there's potential for people to have been victimised, but I don't think there's any kind of set victims. Um, and I feel like everyone in the UK knows the story of the Peru too. So I'm just going to go into a bit more, obviously. Um, but if you're not from the UK and this might be the first time you're hearing this, you're in for a, a infrared. So... There's obviously two girls involved in the story. So you've got Michaela McCollum, who is from, Dun I think it's Dungannon in Northern Ireland. Um, I could be pronouncing that totally wrong, as always. Um, this is a very small, like, Irish town. The population was, like, under 16,000. And she's from, like, a traditional Irish Catholic family. And the second person is Melissa Reid, and she is from Lindsay in Scotland. Now, that's a town in eastern Bartonshire, and that, again, has a population of just over 16,000. Um, this is a fun fact for you. One of my best friends is from Lindsay and went to school with Melissa Reed. Um, and she like said it once to me so casually. Like I, I can honestly remember the day she just turned and said, oh, "I went to school with the Pro too," and she was not phased by this information at all. And I was like, <laughs> "What?" And she was like, "Yeah," and like did not care. And I was acting like this was the best thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um I was just like that's a really interesting fact but yeah anyway so back to the producer so the girls were 20 years old when this case took place in 2013 and it was the spring of that year 
Now, Michaela had never left the country. She'd stayed in Ireland like her whole life. She had done a photography course and was working as a promotions girl. Um, in case you don't know what a promotions girl is, it's basically something that seems to be a bigger thing now, like back then, sorry, in the UK than it is now. But basically that is somebody that is paid to like stand outside a nightclub or a bar and like try and get people in. And they work mostly on commission and they're basically promoting the bar. Now, she decided she wanted to travel, so she told her family she had lined up a dancing job in Ibiza. However, she hadn't. She was just planning on going over there and finding work once she had got settled. Um, her family, obviously, weren't very happy with her going. I think, obviously, she's never travelled out the country before, so I think that's a kind of family thing. So I think they were a bit nervous about her going, but she went. She said she was going to go, so, of course, they would let her go. Now, she got over in the June 2013 and all the summer jobs were obviously gone because people get these in like the Christmas before and then plan for months to go over. So she ended up staying in a hostel. She luckily met some friends and she moved into an apartment of one of theirs and slept on the floor. So she was kind of roughing it in Ibiza for a little while. She managed to make an agreement with her mum to send her money weekly and she managed to get a job as a shop girl in the Amsterdam bar in the San Antonio's West End. So where she is staying and where like the majority of her time in Ibiza was, was in San Antonio. So I have never been to Ibiza, but San Antonio and Ibiza is a kind of lively resort and it's a big like open bay and it's like kind of where all the clubs and the bars and everything are like. I've never been to Ibiza, but everyone I know that's gone to Ibiza loves Ibiza. I've never met anybody that's went and was like, oh shit, but I've never been. Now, she was doing this job and it was going well. However, she ended up losing this job after one shift as she drank most of the shots she was trying to sell. Which, fair <laughs> enough. Do you know what? She gave, she gave oh, a go. That's funny. She gave yeah. a go. Um, but lost her job. Now, she kept going to this bar so she would keep going as a customer and kind of around about this time she actually met a DJ called Brad and he'd saw her in a bar reading a book now they met and they actually went on a five-day like drinking drunk binge basically um and that is kind of how she spent a lot of her time in Ibiza she was on a lot of drugs she was drinking all the time her family thought she was out dancing and doing this great job but that really wasn't the case Michaela was kind of living a different life over there now, when she was in the Amsterdam one night having drinks five weeks into her trip, she met a member of a South American drug cartel who was looking for a mule to smuggle coke, basically, to put it bluntly. Now, she he didn't, come, he didn't approach her as that. He didn't go like, hello, I'm a South American drug cartel member looking for a mule. He just kind of became friends with her. His name was Enrique. Like, they kind of start hanging out. She's in Ibiza. This is great. And he basically asks her if she would accompany a member of his cartel to Barcelona for a few days. So he basically says, like, look, a member of the cartel is going to be taking some drugs to Barcelona. You don't have to do any of the smuggling. You are literally going along for a free trip in Barcelona because this actual mule is going to get quite lonely. So she's like, yeah. Fair enough, like if you're going to pay for me to go to Barcelona, you can put me up, fair, I'll go. So she goes and actually ends up travelling alone to Mallorca. So she's not chumming someone to Barcelona, she's putting a plane to Mallorca and flies to Mallorca. Now once she gets there, she meets Melissa, who I mentioned at the start. Now there's not much on Melissa. All I know is before she went out, she'd worked in the store next after leaving school, but she decided to go off to Ibiza with her friend for a working holiday. Now, Melissa, as I kind of go on to later, Melissa has only done one interview. 
since this all kind of blew up in 2013, she has kept very, very quiet. So a lot of this is going to be from Michaela's point of view, which I'll kind of tell you a bit more about later why there's so much on Michaela, but trying to find out information about Melissa has been really difficult. Now, once they're in Mallorca, they are asked to smuggle cocaine back into Spain from Peru. Now, the girls were going to get paid for this. They were going to get two weeks all expense paid in Peru and and they were going to be smuggling in just about the exact figure is about 1.2 million pounds worth of cocaine. Samantha, how much would you get paid to do that? Uh, no comment. <laughs> no. How much would you take? How much would you honestly like if someone said to you, smuggle back like. So if it want, was 1.2 million pounds worth. I would want at least one. So it's about twelve of kilograms profit. of cocaine, which at that time I think sold for that. I don't know exactly how much coke smells, it sells for. How much would you want? Well, a minimum of one percent. So is that like a hundred grand or something? Of a million. I can't count. Is that ten percent? Yeah. Right. Give me ten percent then. I was going to say one percent would be like hundred pounds. It wouldn't be a hundred pounds. Samantha's like, I'll do it for free, but I'll go to Peru. <laughs> no, well, one percent is ten. Samantha's like, I'll do it for a jet too holiday. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they no, were going to get five thousand euros each. Hey, that's less than one percent. So the joke's on them. Five thousand euros each, and two weeks all expense paid paid in Peru to smuggle back. Like 12 kg of cocaine. Now, they stayed in Mallorca for a couple of days, kind of getting to know each other because they had to look like friends in Peru. So, obviously, they didn't want them, like, literally not spending any time together in Peru, being like, who are you? And the next minute, they're going on a plane together with all this cocaine. They kind of said they had to create this kind of friendship. So, they did what they did. They had days on the beach. Um, they were drinking, they were on drugs. However, Michaela actually started taking seizures during the night and Melissa would wake up and obviously see her taking seizures because the amount of drugs she was coming off. So she was drinking more than she was doing drugs in Mallorca. But in Ibiza, she'd been on like so, so, so much drugs. Now, from there, they were flown to Peru. So you're probably thinking what I was thinking about this time, like, how are you not realising? How has this chumming someone to Barcelona ended up in you transporting drugs from Peru? Well, Michaela's kind of said, look, they were both on a lot of drugs for a long time, especially her. And Michaela said that she'd been awake for four days straight before the flight out to Mallorca. So she was like, I was in no fit way to be telling you where I was going, what I was doing, which I then was like, how did she get through customs? How did she honestly get yeah. through customs in Ibiza airport? Well, maybe if that's kind of vibe in Ibiza, and then through into Mallorca. Like she well, must have been in such a mental way. Yeah, but you can she might have been able to hide it. Like, mm, you know, you yeah. could just be like gliding through life. Like I don't know yeah. because I don't do drugs, but I mean you could maybe just glide on through. I don't know. Mm, yeah, true. No, generally true though. Um, 
But they then travelled separately, actually. So Melissa goes the day before Michaela. So Melissa flies out first to Peru and Michaela flies out the next day. And Michaela, sorry, actually said as the flight was landing in Peru, it was the first time she'd been sober in weeks. So she actually hadn't been sober since arriving in Ibiza um, and she arrived in Lima. So Lima is the capital and largest city of Peru. Um, Peru looks stunning. I would love to go to Peru. It is... Oh, it's on my list. I'd love to. Yeah, it looks Let's so. It. Yeah, <laughs> the new Peru. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Stop. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. Like it just looks great. It also has an elevation of zero centimeters, which <laughs> that's why I was on a holiday. Um, so anyway, they get to Lima. I want to go. Anyway, so they arrive and they have to act like they're on a girls' holiday. So they have to take pictures, act like besties, act like they're travelling. So nobody suspects anything. Um, so nobody kind of puts any intel in. I think that's a bit bullshit, to be honest, because I've been on two weeks at break holidays before and I couldn't tell you who any of the people were or what they looked like or if they looked like they were smuggling drugs. Like, I don't know if it's just me that kind of obliviously like do yeah. that but it did look like a girl's holiday they had loads of pictures and they did well they spent two weeks in peru kind of being friends although there was text each other where they were basically saying how much they were hating this and the quote peru is shit so fair enough now we're going to jump quickly back to the uk so michaela don't know about melissa as i said hadn't told anybody that she was going to peru so she had actually just disappeared and gone to peru so she didn't tell her family and she didn't tell any of her friends that were in Ibiza. So she's obviously got friends in Ibiza and she hasn't even told them that she was going to Barcelona. I think she only like maybe kind of briefly said it to a couple of people. So she has told nobody. Um, So she used to contact her family every day. However, the cartel took her phone off her. So she had not made any contact with home since she'd gone out to Peru. So you're looking at about two and a half weeks, three weeks. So everyone thinks she's disappeared. So her pa- family put like missing person finders out and report this to both Northern, Northern Ireland and Ibiza police. As you can imagine, Ibiza police don't take it very seriously. Like young party girl who doesn't even have like a proper job has gone missing. Like they're probably thinking she's on a bender somewhere. Like she'll come back. Um, so it's a shame, but like friends and Ibiza put posters up in the window um, now her sister had actually put a Facebook post out after nine days of no contact saying that um, Michaela's phone was off she was last known to be in San Antonio Bay and now they didn't know where she was she said there was rumours that she was uh, apparently in Barcelona or Madrid but there was no confirmation of these now the day before they go home Michaela goes to collect the drugs from an address so Michaela is sent to collect the drugs not Melissa um, and I'm going to kind of go into a bit of a theory about that later on. So Michaela goes to collect the drugs from an address and they go and basically start packing up their cases to go home from Peru. And they are hiding the drugs in boxes of Quaker Oats. Now, I don't know if Quaker Oats is a UK thing, but Quaker Oats are um, like, they're just oats. <laughs> I don't know how I was going to make that sound. Oh, wow. They... It's porridge. It's and, porridge. And they're not oats. Quaker oats is porridge. Yeah, but do not come as just oats. Yeah, but that's what porridge is. Yeah, but you can make loads out of oats. Yeah, well, it's a better description Some flapjacks than flapjacks are made oats of oats. oats. You can't say flapjacks are porridge. Yeah, but you can't just describe oats as oats. <laughs> I was getting into it. <laughs> Quaker oats for everyone that's listening. Uh, it's a porridge brand. Anyway... 
<laughs> so the night before they obviously fly back to Mallorca, they have hardly slept. Michaela was actually up during the night being physically sick with nerves. Now, the cartel had told them not to worry that both police and security at the airport were tipped off. So there was no need to worry. They said, like, look, that people know this is happening. We've got people on the inside. Like, you're going to swan right through. You'll be absolutely fine. Now, a car comes to pick them up on the 6th of August 2013, and they go to George Chavez International Airport in Lima. Now, it's a very busy airport, so they are queuing for quite a while, and they get up to the front, and Michaela puts her bag on, and it's absolutely fine. However, Melissa notices a security guard looking over at her. I don't know if she's probably really paranoid, um, or like, as I said, I've never been to Peru. Um, I have been to some places where the airports are obviously very highly security, and uh, secured, sorry, and loads of like guns and stuff. But like, I've never thought I've seen a security guard staring me out. Um, I could be totally wrong. So, like, do you think she was maybe just a bit para, or have you ever been stared out by a security guard? No, but I've had a passport checker laugh at me and laugh at my my photo on my passport. So oh. there's that. I'm so but, sorry um... to hear that. <laughs> okay it was the last passport so I was still a child um which is rough but um no I haven't been but you always get that thing you know when you go through like nothing to declare you have nothing to declare but you still feel like your bags are going to get ripped off you and you're going to get searched and you're going to find drugs in it even though it isn't so I feel paranoid (laughs) like when the scanner beeps and you're like someone's planted something on me in this queue yeah, 100%. Even though you're practically down to your knickers because there's nothing else you can put through. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, paranoia. No, okay. So yeah, so I think that's kind of what it was. So Michaela's case is fine. So it's all good. And then Melissa puts her bag on. However, a guard then comes over with a sniffer dog and the dog starts sniffing the cases. Um, sniffer dogs, by the way, fabulous. What good animals. Like, But also I feel like what a shame that some dogs have to work and some don't. But anyway, alas, the man asks them to move their bags off and they go into a private room. The girls start to panic, but then Michaela's kind of said, like, we actually thought, OK, this is part of the plan. Like, we're going to be taken into this room and the guy's going to be like, wink, wink, ha, ha. But like, I've checked the cases, there's nothing in them. Off they go. That's like what Michaela thought was going to happen. Um, So like, act like they've checked the cases um so the custom officials then came and strip searches them um and then they were actually filmed as they opened their cases and basically they held the drugs up to the camera you can actually watch the full video online and the photos as i said they found 12 kilograms of cocaine about 1.2 million pounds worth at the time um was in their cases now this obviously when michaela's like shit this isn't what was meant to happen and this is when they kind of realize that this plan has all gone wrong Now, there's a couple of rumours around kind of how this all happened. And like, I'm going to just tell you two of them. So the first one was that they were actually being used as a a distraction kind of slash diversion. So more drugs would be getting past security because obviously you don't, I think smuggling drugs to me, like especially when the whole thing with the Peru 2 came out, I felt like it was a really then common thing that people were, drugs were going, it's done very clever. Like it's very cleverly done. So actually finding 1.2 million pounds worth of cocaine isn't the average for Lima Airport. So actually that would have taken up all of their security's attention. Everyone would be so aware of this that actually this cartel could then smuggle past 5 million pounds worth. 
do you know? So that was one of them. The second rumour was that Melissa was actually connected to the gang and she was behind a lot of it. So that's why she flew out to Lima first and that's why Michaela went and got the drugs. So they believe, and there's been rumours, obviously Melissa's never really came out, but she was kind of driving force of this with Michaela. Like she was already planted in Mallorca when Michaela flew over, but she was already involved and the gang actually turned on her last minute is another theory so actually Michaela was meant to get pulled but not Melissa that's obviously never confirmed but that's kind of something that came up so actually yeah anyway as I said they have been searched and they are cuffed and taken to a police station like can you imagine being in an airport in Peru you've just been caught with 12 kg of drugs on you and they're coughing you and taking you to a station like I honestly Michaela said it like she just wanted the ground to her up and I'm like fair enough like, genuinely I think I'd cry enough. oh I'd do I'd... more than cry yeah or I'd be in so much shock I, I don't even know what I'd yeah. I'd yeah, have you a would beamer just... of a face though my face would be like red as red as they're filming <laughs> you taking the drugs out you're like please put the camera on <laughs> yeah so they're taken to a station in Lima and this is when Michaela gets to call her mum for the first time. So her mum's obviously like, oh my goodness, I'm hearing from you, you're alive, I thought you were missing, I thought you were dead. And then she has to explain to her mum that she is alive, but she's in Peru and she's in prison. Now, she's obviously hysterical, she's not just like, hi mum, eh, sorry, she's obviously hysterical having this conversation. And as I said, she's from a traditional Irish religious family, her mum's obviously shocked by this her mum doesn't even know where Peru was so she actually calls the family lawyer Peter Madden and he flies out with her brother um after this call her mum was actually rushed to hospital with chest pains so to confirm she's okay but it was actually because the shock that she went into with this now the girls claimed to the lawyers and the police that they were held in a flat in Mallorca at gunpoint by a gang and were forced into this they said that if they didn't do this, they'd be killed. And Michaela actually explained to her lawyer and the police in so much detail that she actually said she felt the cold metal of a gun on her forehead at one point and described this while obviously really upset. Now, they kept up this story for months. They said that they were obviously forced into this and there was no way they could have got out of it. Now, while they're kind of keeping this up, they are held in Virgin de Fatima prison. Now, this is quite an infamous, notorious prison in Peru, in Lima. Um, and I'm going to just explain to you a little bit about it. I think, obviously, going to prison, the thought of it is bad enough. The thought of going to prison in a foreign country. I think a lot of us in the UK kind of go to Bridget Jones and we're like, oh, the Bridget Jones prison. That's not... Yes, real. that's exactly where my head goes. Sorry Thank to be that you. guy. But no, it it's fine. It's fine. But that is not the case so like this prison had a cockroach infestation due to its overcrowding um uh, they slept on steel bunk beds with dirty bedding at one point the girls actually had to sleep on a concrete floor um, because there was not enough beds um the prison was actually at over 200 percent capacity when the girls were at it so some people were actually sleeping in the toilets cubicles because there was so little space the water is undrinkable both girls actually had stomach bugs while staying there Tuberculosis and HIV was also common in this hospital, in this prison, sorry, due to the infection rates because of the hygiene and because of the lack of it. Um, Food-wise, they'd said they were served chicken feet as food at one point, so they couldn't obviously speak 
the language. So at one point, the girls described pointing at like their boobs and clucking to try and explain they wanted chicken breast, but instead got chicken feet. Um, there was a toilet, one toilet to 100 women, and sometimes this didn't flush. Um, apart from that toilet, there was actually just another hole in the ground. There was a lot of bullying in this prison and obviously just a really toxic environment. So I think that takes away the whole Bridget Jones vibe. And actually, you're putting two 20-year-old kind of party girls into this setting. Now, they're obviously waiting for their trial and they're told to basically tell the truth or they would serve roughly 15 years. So they're saying basically scrap the story that you were heard at gunpoint. We all know it's shit. Tell us what actually happened and we'll reduce your sentence. So they told the truth in October they were sentenced. Um, sorry, in October they were found guilty and they were sentenced in December to six years and eight months and they were fined 3.5 thousand euros. Now, they were given a lesser sentence, Sam, I want your thoughts on this, as they gave up all the information they had on the drug cartel. What's your thoughts on that? I'm all for it, but it's also scary because I feel like you need to go into like witness protection because they have eyes and ears everywhere. You don't know who's going to know what they know. You know what I mean? Yeah. So quite scary, in my well, opinion. That's what would scare me, is I'm like, you could easily give up all this information, but then they're going to know who you are. Like, would you not rather have longer and not grass up a cartel? I would personally. I feel like, yeah. Unless so, I was hmm. in the position they were in, though, when you've just had to be, you know, sleeping on the floor, being in that foreign prison, like, it's not a great environment to say the least so possibly out of fear you'd then be like yeah I'll give you anything I can but it's a it's a Mm -hmm. hard one but yeah it's a bit scary yeah yeah no absolutely now the guys from the airport then spoke to the press around this time and they actually said that the girls drew attention to themselves in the airport saying they were acting weird they were acting nervous acting shifty which I'm sorry I don't believe I do believe it was a setup um I love a conspiracy theory but I don't believe they'd be able to point like to be able to pinpoint two girls of how busy that airport was like that is like a needle in a haystack vibe but because it's not like it was the scanners that found the drugs, do you know, it was actually the police, like the security went over. So like they had a reason to go yeah. to them. So yeah. yeah, something was, someone was told about it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh, absolutely. So they are then moved prison to Ancon, jail, uh, Ancon 2 jail. Now this again is quite a brutal prison, but it, it's better than the last one. However, this one's kind of more violently witness attacks. There's a lot of like prison relationships in front of others. Like, I mean, like, think um and it's very loud and overcrowded now some inmates were quite wild there was a notorious woman that was in that prison and she'd killed her child and fed it to her husband um and there was just like obviously killers and stuff so quite bad people however the girls both got a job in the prison salon and they actually ended up spending only less than three years of their sentence and then they got out early which is good now Post-prison, we kind of see different lives. As I said, Melissa, Melissa has appeared to kind of avoid any of the public spotlight. She's had no social media. She's given no interviews since 2016 when she was released. Now, the year after her release, because it was reported that Melissa basically started working with Citizens Advice and started basically helping people. Now, she ended up with a boyfriend, Gary Stafford, and he actually trekked out to South America basically to visit her when she was in the jail in Peru they met like he saw her story and basically reached out to her and they got together while she was in prison 
Now they lived a kind of normal life in Kilmarnock. Um, they were seen with their dog. Oh, really exciting. Um, however, this year it came out that the couple had split, which again, I really don't care. Like, I feel like it's like, just let the girl live. Like she doesn't want any media attention. However, I think with something like that, they're never going to get up on it. Melissa did say in that interview years back, though, that if she actually hadn't gone to prison, she believed she'd be dead by now due to the lifestyle she was living with the drugs and the drink. Michaela became kind of infamous, almost. She wrote a book called High, like Life Inside a Peru in Prison. Um, she'd done a t like there was a TV series in the Peru too. She's in the whole thing. She has over 20,000 followers on Instagram and is kind of making the most of what happened, but not like glamorizing it, kind of educating about it. As I said, the good there's a really good TV series um, about it. But again, there is no Melissa. It's Michaela that kind of does the majority of that show. Now, obviously, I said there was no victims in this case, and there wasn't. However, I believe there would have been so many victims if they had been successful. They would have brought so many drugs over to Europe, which, like as I said, 1.2 million pounds worth of cocaine. That could have done a crazy amount. Um, and as I kind of said, I know this is a bit more lighthearted and a bit shorter than some of them. It was nice to kind of just have a break. I'm not taking the piss out of them at all. But I think it was obviously very different to be out there. But I think there's a lot of times in that story where I feel they could have stopped. Like, easily in the two weeks in Peru when you've kind of sobered up, go and just go go to the airport or police station or get some sort of payphone and contact home. I don't know if that's just me, Sam, but... Do you get what I mean? Like, they could have just been like, yeah. actually, I'm not doing this anymore. I was thinking the exact same, um, especially when it's like, oh, I'm finally sober, I know what I'm doing. Uh, but then I guess as well, you've got to think of, if you were in that situation, would you be like, I can't go to the airport, I can't get help because there's these bad people that I'm now part of mm-hmm. who can kill me if I don't do what I'm told. Yeah. So there's that. But I think at the end of the day, it was very silly to get into that um, situation to begin mm-hmm. with. But the only reason I can't relate is because I'm not heavy on the drink and I'm not into drugs. So I just don't think I'd get in that situation. Joking aside with the whole, if you offered me a hundred grand, I still wouldn't do right. it. No, but, um, like I genuinely wouldn't. And that's what like, I know you do that. Like how much would you do for it? I genuinely can say that I wouldn't do it. No, like I, I think... genuinely wouldn't do it. Um, and I think, like, I remember it because, like, I left school in 2013, left high school, and I remember it being such a big thing. And I remember even thinking at the time, like, why would you even try it? And still, yeah, my opinions have never changed. If I was offered millions to smuggle drugs, it's just not worth it. Especially, like, you know, if you're going to get caught, that's it. Yeah, exactly. And then also, like you said, you'd then be part of the victim. Like, you'd not you wouldn't become a victim but you'd be part of the problem with drugs like Scotland yeah. its own is the worst has too many drug deaths it's got the worst what is it in the whole of Europe um Ooh. so yeah, yeah absolutely it's not good to be a part of that at all don't do drugs opinion. kids or adults anyone <laughs>